It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. You know, you can't really do anything but, you know, deal with it and keep fighting. Keep fighting for another day and, you know, keep working. Um, if stuff doesn't go your way, you got to fail till you get your way to the top. Um, I saw, like, a video the other day just, you know, failing till you succeed. So, um... No matter how many times I fail, I'm just going to keep going until I eventually succeed. The film tells you a lot. You can really see um, what individual guys are able to do, what the group collectively in, in the three phases has been, have, have really been able to do. But for me, it's about looking forward and giving every guy in this uh, roster an opportunity to really um, you know, apply what they can do to help us win football games. And I meet with Bruce you know, periodically, um, and he's going to be involved here as we put the final touches on our draft, too. So... Nothing, our philosophy hasn't changed. We still want to bring in really good players. Confidence is still rolling. Everything is increasing. And, um, you know, I'm overly excited. You know, I almost want to flip this whole thing over and just get get it going in here with y'all. But <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Do it. Um. <laughs> Don't give me any ideas. I'll flip some tables. I'll flip some tables over. And it'll make for some... Potentially viral moments. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio here for the next hour. PFTPM, nine days away. Nine days from the 2022 draft. I remember in the old days of PFT Live, Stats and I would joke about having a countdown clock. So we were constantly reminded <laughs> of the days, hours, minutes, seconds, and nanoseconds until the draft arrives. I, You know, it's hard to get excited for this one because there aren't marquee skill position quarterback big name guys jostling for the first pick it's going to be a lot of ham and egg offensive defensive line type guys and it's just harder to get excited about guys who don't touch the football shireen well it is mike and and it's hard to believe that it's almost here and i know teams are excited about it because it does have so much depth after the covid years and everything else they they love what they see in this draft but from our standpoint from a pure fan standpoint, I mean, offensive tackles getting drafted early, defensive tackles, I, you know, safeties. It, it's just – it's not that sexy, I guess, is the way I would phrase it. And I'm not that excited by this one. I'm actually ready to get this over with and see who everybody ends up with and where some of these veteran quarterbacks like Jimmy Garoppolo and and uh, Baker Mayfield Baker are going to end up. And we, Baker yeah, Mayfield. So we we got to know where right? he's going to be. Got to know where he's going to be, Mike. So I, I'm eager for that. I want to see how it all plays out and what teams. And then we can kind of look ahead to go, okay, this team really made improvements in the offseason. You know, the ultimate contrast between an exciting, big-name, potential draft pick and reality came in 2014 when they basically had to confiscate the keys from Jerry Jones when he wanted to take Johnny Manziel, (laughs) which would have Uh been a disaster. And instead they took Zach Martin, who has been a mainstay on that offensive line ever since. Sometimes those picks that aren't real sexy when they're made lead to some very good results because you have to have that infrastructure in place on your offensive and defensive line. If you're going to be any good, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the infrastructure in place 
at every spot on the roster. Sims and I talked about their draft needs earlier today. Interior offensive line, a concern. Defensive line, and Dominican Sue still unsigned, a concern. Jason Light spoke to reporters today, and among other things, he's obviously going to face questions about Tom Brady. He said he's had no discussions with Brady about 2023 or beyond. And that's a little different from what he had said previously when he was asked about it. Before he would just, well, that we'll take care of that when we take care of it. Now it's we have had no discussions whatsoever and not, oh, by the way, we plan to. I think the reality here is they're treating this as a self-contained one year. There's a no tag provision in Tom Brady's contract, which means they can't keep him from hitting the open market next year. If he wants to go anywhere next year, he'll be able to do so. And given all of the chatter, the rumors, the reality that he had his eyes on Miami earlier this year when he retired 40 days before he unretired, we have to take very seriously the possibility we're going to see him with another team in 2023. And the Buccaneers' best play is to just not mention that as much as possible so it doesn't distract in any way from what they're trying to do this season. Well, Mike, it's obvious that Tom Brady doesn't want to do an extension, right? And from the Bucks' standpoint, they don't need to do an extension for salary cap purposes. But let's just throw this hypothetical out there at, at you. If you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady came to you and said, hey, I want to sign an extension. I want to sign a one-year extension, presumably, whatever it is. But I want to sign an extension. If you're the Buccaneers, do you do that knowing that there's going to be a drop-off with Tom Brady at some point? Or do you like it like this? Do you like that it's only a one-year deal right now and after the season you reevaluate? And if he wants to move on, he wants to move on. If you can re-sign him, you re-sign him if he has a good year. I think it depends on why he wants to sign the extension. Is he saying, I'm ready to make a two-year commitment? Is he saying... I want more money because, frankly, I'm looking at his contract right now. $8.9 million base salary this year with a $1.4 million roster bonus. That is to reflect the 17th game. That's not a whole lot of money. That's under $11 million for Tom Brady. Now, he did get a $20 million signing bonus when they did the contract last year. But still, when you consider what some of these other guys are making, he could say, look, we're going to fill the stadium this year with me here. It wouldn't have been filled without me here. Let's go ahead and properly compensate me now, and I'll stick around for another year. If they're making that kind of offer, if Brady's camp is making that kind of offer, then maybe the Bucks listen to it. But I, I think anything they could do to know that if Brady plays it all in 2023, he plays for them, I think they'd be interested. But I think they'd feel compelled to do it if the argument was quite simply, I'm not making nearly enough money for what I bring to this team because the truth is he's not making nearly enough money for what he brings to the team. But I also think this is 2019 all over again when he basically entered his final year with the Patriots knowing it was his final year with the Patriots and he tried to keep it under wraps as best he could. And there wasn't that collateral issue of retiring and unretiring and why did he retire and why did he unretire and what was he doing in the interim while he was retired was he eyeballing an opportunity to go somewhere else that wasn't overlaying the reality in new england so it wasn't as urgent and it wasn't as big of a distraction and i think that's what this is all about that's why frankly i believe that and we're going to talk about this in a minute that worthless interview on espn.com of tom brady as he was trying to push his golf clothing line as part of his brady brand he does not want to talk about anything else because anything else he talks about shireen is going to be a distraction and i think that if if he and the buccaneers are on the same page about anything 
It's that they need to focus on this year and this year only and minimize any and all distractions. Yeah, and Mike, after this year, I know he's looking at he might have a better opportunity to go somewhere else and win. When you look at Miami's situation, certainly with Tua, and how is Tua going to play that out after all the offseason moves they've made? There are no excuses. If, as we've talked about many times, Mike, this is a do-or-die year for Tua. So if Tom Brady gets done with the Bucks, win or win a Super Bowl or not, he could be looking down the road to Miami going, you know what, that is a really good team ready to win now, sort of like the Bucks were two years ago. I'm going to go there and win me another one with a third team. Already unprecedented anything and everything that he's done, but certainly winning with the third team would be completely unprecedented and never happen in this league again. I think you can probably safely say that. There's a lot of things Tom Brady's done that's never going to happen again in this league. Definitely not in our lifetimes, maybe not in anyone's lifetime who is currently living. As it relates to one of the big issues from last year, as it related to Aaron Rodgers, how involved is he in decisions made by the front office, the attitude that they have toward him that he resents? You just work here, basically. We run the team. You throw the passes. Jason Light was asked today, about whether to what extent Tom Brady is involved in front office decisions when it comes to the draft. Here's what Light had to say. No, he stays, he stays away. You know, he's, uh, he trusts us. Uh, that's just not in his nature anyway. So. Yeah, look, I, it's not in his nature. I don't know. I think he has a way of sending messages without directly sending messages. I think he doesn't want to dirty his hands or lower himself to being the guy who comes off as micromanaging. And really, at this point, what are they going to find for him in the draft this year that's going to help make the team better? He's more involved when it comes to, I want the people I know here. I want the people I've played with here. I want Gronk. I want Antonio Brown. Shaq Mason. I want want Logan Ryan. I want Shaq Mason. I want guys back. I want to get Ryan Jensen to stick around. Draft picks aren't going to help him do Jack Diddley squat, not this year, and he'll, he'll back off on that. So I think it's, it's not inaccurate, but as I talk my way through it, I realize the draft is hardly his priority when he's looking at most likely his last year with the Buccaneers. Yeah, that's exactly right, Mike. And and maybe they get a player, you know, who can come in and provide depth and they have injuries like they did at corner last year. Maybe this year they'll have a guy who can step in and help them out of that jam. But overall, I mean, let's be realistic. Where they draft and the players that they have, there's not going to be a draft pick who's going to come and step in on this team and help Tom Brady win another Super Bowl, realistically. Maybe provide some snaps and some starts and stuff down the road, but but Brady's looking at the veteran players that he has on this team, sort of the over-the-hill gang that, that, that Washington did back in George Allen's day, and the Rams have taken on that same philosophy. We want players who've proven that they can compete, that they can win, and that's what he's looking at, Mike, and he's done that. This is a good team, and especially being in the NFC, Right now, when you look on paper, it's the Buccaneers and it's the Rams. I see that Light was specifically asked about talk of Tom Brady going to the Dolphins in 23, and he said, I make of it as chatter. We're focused on putting our team together here with the draft, and we're all excited. We're all in lockstep here. Tom, Todd Bowles, myself, Byron Leftwich, entire coaching staff on this season. Gets to what we were talking about earlier. They're focused on right now. Everything else and anything else that they would discuss is a distraction. 
and they don't want to talk about it, and Brady doesn't want to talk about it. And that gets back to the interview that we were talking about earlier. And look, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to give you a fake apology, ESPN. That That interview of Tom Brady was an embarrassment for everyone involved in it. It was not a real interview. It was a quote sheet, basically. I'd love to know what the parameters were on what could or couldn't be asked. It was a golf writer whose name escapes me. I'm sorry about that. But it's a golf clothing line, part of the Brady brand. I get all that. But it can't just be Tom Brady handpicking three or four quotes about why he came back and played for another year. When there are so many issues, so many items of news, so many questions that have not been asked or answered, of Tom Brady or by Tom Brady in recent weeks, you can't, in good conscience, run that interview without any of those questions being asked. If he doesn't want to answer them, he doesn't have to answer them. Tom Brady declined to comment on questions regarding whether he was poised to become a minority owner of the Miami Dolphins. Tom Brady declined to comment on questions regarding whether he was ready to take a front office position like the one Derek Jeter held with the Miami Marlins. Tom Brady declined to comment on whether or not he was hoping to play for the Miami Dolphins and partner up with Sean Payton. That, that can be in the story. You can't avoid asking the most pertinent and pressing questions surrounding Tom Brady. And then you have the whole Bruce Arians angle. The existence of friction or not between Tom Brady and Bruce Arians. Brady's never discussed that. Brady, Brady's Let's Go podcast ended Super Bowl week. A lot of stuff happened after Super Bowl week. The last we heard from Tom Brady, he's saying never say never about possibly coming back. Well, you got that right, Tom. But there's a lot of stuff that he needed to be asked. So, you know, look, ESPN is in financial bed with Tom Brady. They've got the Man in the Arena docuseries that I still have yet to meet a single person who has watched it. That's not a – I'm just you, – you know, you put it on ESPN Plus or Disney Plus, who's going to go watch it? You put it on regular TV if you want people to watch it. And I understand – look, I understand we're on Peacock, but we don't – I don't expect people to watch this. I would have expected that somebody would have watched the definitive docuseries on the career of Tom Brady. I have yet to talk to anybody who has. But business with ESPN, the NFT – offering from ESPN first ever it's tied up with Brady's autograph company this separate hustle he's got plenty of hustles and I don't knock it it's great the guy is an entrepreneur the guy is using his name and his platform to do all sorts of things I love it it's inspiring but you can't you can't in good conscience have that interview if you're Brady if you're ESPN if you're the reporter involved that is an embarrassment to ESPN, to Brady, and to everyone involved because it was worthless because there is so much low-hanging fruit that is yet to be plucked. You can't interview him and not ask those questions, Shireen. Well, Mike, I wouldn't even call it a story. I would call it a press release because, frankly, that's what it was. It was a press release from ESPN and Tom Brady about the clothing line. That's all it was. And to say it's a story, I think – you lose credibility when you do that because it wasn't because the questions weren't asked that needed to be asked that any good reporter would ask. And I don't know this guy. Maybe he's a good reporter. Maybe he was, maybe he had to do this. I don't know his story, but if he didn't ask those questions and was able to by the agreement, whatever agreement they had, if they had an agreement, then he's not a very good reporter. And 
probably not a very good reporter if you agree to do this, if, unless ESPN says, look, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to follow this agreement. That's the only way I would do something like that. If my employer made me do it and I was had agreed to ask only certain questions uh, in this interview, Mike, it's just, it's, it's not real journalism. And you sully your name when you write something like that and cast it as a story and at least explain in the story that you were limited in what you could ask, that you couldn't ask certain questions. I, I just, it's, it's befuddles me that this was cast as a story because it's not, it's, it is embarrassing. That's the right word for it. I will say this. If you go to the front page of ESPN.com right now, the top headline on the stack on the right rail is Bucks ignoring chatter around Brady. And when you click on it, it is their first story, substantive or otherwise, that acknowledges all of the reporting, all of the rumors, all of the stuff regarding Brady. And I think they finally were at the point where they had to deal with it because Jason Light talked about it today. But they do say, and I about fell out of my chair here, Shireen, let me see if I can find it again. Maybe it's already been deleted. Pro Football Talk reported that the Dolphins were prepared to announce Brady as a minority owner the week before the Super Bowl. Well, how about that? Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Thank you, ESPN. On the same day that we, we, we bashed them for their Brady infomercial slash press release. So, uh, you know, sometimes they do the right thing. But, but that doesn't change the fact that that interview was Terrible. an embarrassment. And it was as you say, a press release, and you can't in good conscience with access to Tom Brady not ask those questions. And, and look, I've done this before where you, you want to have somebody on PFT Live, you know, get an interview. Hey, well, this person's going to be on. Well, they don't want to ask about this. It's like, well, then, then, then I'm not going to have them on because I have to ask them about that. They, they cannot answer. They can decline to answer, but I'm yeah. still – got to ask them the question or I look like a hack. I look like a fool. If I don't ask that question and, and what also happens sometimes is we'll get somebody offered to us and it will come with the, oh, by the way, so-and-so doesn't want to talk about X. Well, I wasn't going to ask about it anyway, but now that they do that, I want to. And then, then, then mm-hmm. I go through the whole thing is that, you know, I really wasn't going to ask about it. I don't care about it. I'm not going to cancel the entire interview simply because they don't want me to ask about a topic I wasn't going to ask about. Usually in that situation, I'll go forward with it. But if it is something, like if Tom Brady was offered to us today, fat chance, but if he was, and I've interviewed him before. He was very gracious after Super Bowl yeah. 51. It was great. We had him on for 25 minutes when uh, the show was, was on NBCSN a few years back. But uh, if I was offered him right now, there's no way I would agree to avoid Dolphins questions. Arians questions mm. now you know you, you want to phrase him the right way you don't want to be disrespectful to the guy but it's like Tom these you know he's not keeping his head in the sand the, the, this isn't an insult to the emperor to ask him these questions these are fair questions for him to be asked and then he answers them and we assess whether or not he's full of crap because he told us on the shop last June 90 percent of the things he says in press conferences aren't true so uh, everything he says from my perspective, get passed through an even thicker crap filter than before. But still, if you're going to interview him, you got to ask all those questions. You have to ask all those questions or you're wasting everyone's time. Well, and it'll be interesting, Mike, to see when and if he talks to the Bucks media because all those questions will be asked. We know our friend Rick Stroud from the Tampa Bay Times will be in there and others who are going to ask those questions to Tom Brady. So they'll get asked at some point. The question is when the, are the Bucks going to make him 
available to the media. And hopefully it's sooner than later, Mike, and we get to hear from Tom Brady and we get all the answers to those questions. If we do, it'll be a great day for PFT because we'll have multiple posts. And I know he won't say much. As you said, he's good at dancing around questions, but there still will be multiple posts from Tom Brady because all those questions will be asked. They'll be asked and we'll see what he has to say about them. Unless, you know, I mean, sometimes when when you become – this ultra superstar living legend. I think what happens in a press conference setting, and Shereen, you know better than me, you've been in more of these than I have. I, I typically stay in my cave. But um, what happens is when you've got 10, 15 people in a room and there are delicate questions to be asked, I think the dynamic arises that some wait for others to ask that tough question. Does that, have you experienced oh, yeah. that where you feel like everybody's oh, kind of absolutely. waiting around for who's going who's gonna to be the one to acknowledge that, you know, there's a there's a, a topic that this person would rather not discuss. Well, I'll, I'll b- provide a perfect example here. The Thanksgiving Day game when Josh Norman ran off the field and said because he had dominated Des Bryant and said Des Bryant needs to give back whatever the millions it was needs to give back that money because he's not worth it. Well, didn't get to talk to Des Bryant until the next week. No one wanted to ask those questions except guess who? I asked the first question, and I'm, I'm waiting for – and he's mad, you know, and I'm waiting for somebody to ask the second one, and nobody – they just let me. So I basically had a one-on-one that everybody else was filming and taping, and, and Des got mad at me, obviously, for asking those questions from, from a week earlier. But, yeah, it's something you have to do, and sometimes people wait for that one reporter to ask those questions and get somebody mad at them. So you have to take that sometimes. But the questions have to be asked, Mike. And, you know, veterans like Rick Stroud, who've done this for, for 30 years, they're used to asking those hard questions. I think we are having some technical difficulties with Shireen. I'll share this story while we try to enhance and improve her connection. I have given Tom Curran a hard time about this in the past because when Bill Belichick faces reporters, a lot of times it's the equivalent of an audience with the disembodied head of Oz with the flashpots spewing flames on each side. And I've asked Tom in the past – why didn't a given topic come up? And there's a, there's a pragmatism to it. We know he's not going to answer the question. And we know that the moment that that question is asked, every question after that is a waste of time because he shuts down after that. He's not going to give you a real answer once you cross that bridge that pisses him off. And I look at that and I say, you still ask the questions anyway, because as I've said time again, if Bill Belichick doesn't appreciate the media component of his career as an NFL head coach, he should go coach high school lacrosse where no one cares. All due respect to high school lacrosse. They don't care to the same level that they care about pro football and you get paid accordingly. So part of why he's paid all that money is because people care intensely. So you do have to make yourself available. And there are times where he gives like these ridiculously long answers out of nowhere But when there's a delicate subject that he doesn't want to discuss, the explanation that I've heard is when you ask him that, it's not that anyone's afraid to ask him. It's that they know that after that question is asked, the rest of the press conference becomes a waste of time. Well, that's it, Mike. You look at his answers on a transcript, and a lot of them are so long, five, seven, nine minutes long, and he's just stalling. He's just waiting 
to get through and go, hey, I did my seven minutes, eight minutes. What After the Super Bowl, what, two years ago, what did he do, five minutes or six minutes or something or like three questions or something? So, yes, there's a lot of that. And then he'll, you're right, if he gets one he doesn't like, he's going to just shut it down and say, I'm done, I'm out. And he did his obligation. He met the media access obligation and, and he moved on. But he, he's done this so long, Mike, he knows how to, how to say what only – what he wants to say. Say what he wants to say, but only what he wants to say, Mike. Yeah, and uh, uh, again, that doesn't mean that the questions should never be asked, and especially for a guy like Tom Brady, who isn't repeatedly meeting with the media, who's available to speak to ESPN.com. You have to ask those questions. There would be plenty of questions for Kyler Murray if he were to give a press conference right now. <laughs> First one, where are you? Kyler Murray not attending the Cardinals voluntary workouts. Now, look, look, this comes up every year. Is it newsworthy whether or not a guy is there? Yes. Does that mean we're passing judgment on his decision to not be there? Absolutely not. He has every right to not be there. But the absence of the player is news, especially when there is an obvious contractual issue between player and team. So Kyler Murray not being at the Cardinals voluntary workouts is critical because you expect the quarterback to be there. If anyone's going to be there, the leader of the team is going to be there. But right now, he's not happy, reportedly slash actually. His agent made a proposal to the Cardinals early this offseason. The Cardinals never responded. The proposal was yanked. The Cardinals are trying to buy time and wait until the summer to take care of the Kyler Murray contract. Kyler would like to do it now because if there's a major impasse, let's know about it. So maybe there's a trade in play. That's the theory slash reporting slash rumor mongering. But the bottom line is he's exercising his prerogative to stay away. And he is fully within his rights to stay away. And here we are nine days before the draft. And whatever happened last Thursday, I felt like it was an effort to start the lawnmower towards something. There's no indication that anything's happening, and we're nine days away from the draft, and I don't think there's going to be a push by anyone to trade for Kyler Murray. I don't think the Cardinals are going to try to trade him, and I think this is going to get kicked into the June, July, August time frame where maybe he shows up for training camp, maybe he doesn't, maybe he gets the contract he wants, maybe he doesn't. This is just the next chapter, but this is the first tangible evidence to show us that there is a real issue that is causing Kyler Murray to not show up and practice or whatever it is they do phase one. This is basically weightlifting and, and, and yeah. cardio and, and some meetings. It's not real practice. It isn't necessary, but it is newsworthy, like I said, if the guy's not there. Oh, absolutely, Mike. And we see it with Ryan Tannehill, who doesn't have a contract issue, who you wonder why he's not there. We know why Kyler Murray's not there, and I wouldn't expect him to be there. I, it would have been a surprise to me if he had shown up today. It'll be a surprise if he shows up next week. I think it'll be a surprise, Mike. Next deadline, mandatory minicamp. I think it'll be a surprise if he shows up then. I think this is going to go on until the Cardinals give him a new contract. He's going to play hardball with them and say, give me the new contract or else I'm not going to play for you this year. And we all know he has the baseball thing to, to lean on. I don't think he's going that baseball way, but I do think that he will remain out of the Cardinals, away from the Cardinals, as, as long as he doesn't have a new deal. Due to make $5.5 million this year, he wants more money. He deserves a new contract. The question is, what is the disconnect between what the Cardinals are willing to give him and what Kyler Murray will settle for. And as we've talked about, Mike, there's a huge difference, a huge gap there 
from the first quarterback to the 10th quarterback, and where do you put Kyler Murray in that range? You know, I've just kind of spitballed that the Cardinals are in the 30 to 35 million per year range with Kyler Murray, and he's between 45 and 50. And if you look at the tweets from Eric Burkhart, whenever a quarterback gets paid or anyone gets paid, the idea that franchise quarterbacks are rare, they're valuable, and the market keeps going up. The salary cap keeps going up. The reason quarterbacks are making more money and players at other positions are making more money is there's more money to spend. And remember, every dollar a player makes is a dollar that gets buried in the vault of an owner because the money is split 50-50 and the owners have 100% of the equity and the players have none. So let's not resent the players, but the reality is they are getting paid more. The cap is going up. It's going to keep going up. So if you're going to do a deal now, it's not just where is the market now, it's where is the market going. So maybe he wants 55. Maybe he wants to stretch it even more. But I think to get there, he's going to have to play this year and play well wire to wire to convince the Cardinals to take care of him. Sam Darnold in a contract year, $18.8 million, just like Baker Mayfield. Carolina Panthers quarterback until Baker Mayfield arrives or someone else. Ben McAdoo, (laughs) offensive coordinator, speaking with reporters today. Here's McAdoo on whether or not Sam Darnold is the starting quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. Sam is our starting quarterback, yes. One minute, 37 seconds later. You know, one of the things I've been working on is being better talking to you people. So, you know, announcing the starting quarterback here, I just put my foot in the mouth. So that wasn't something I should have said. Uh, wow. Wow. That was fast. That was, that was, that was faster than it takes for him to get out of an oversized suit. My goodness. Um, but yeah, look, look, this time of year, you got a guy who's at the top of your depth chart. That doesn't mean he's going to be the week one starter. The Panthers are clearly looking for something. They could get Baker Mayfield. They could draft somebody. I've heard that they really aren't enamored with any of the options available in the draft and that Mayfield is a realistic possibility for the Carolina Panthers. We'll just see what happens. And for now, it's Sam Darnold. He's making a lot of money, and I've heard no chatter of him possibly being traded. Who would take him at this point? The Panthers would have to pay a lot of the money due to Sam Darnold to unload him from the roster. I think they're going to stick with him. The question is, if they get Mayfield, how much of the 18.8 that he's due will the Panthers pay? How much will the Browns pay? Yeah, I'm going to be surprised, Mike, if Sam Darnold is the starter on opening day. And that's the real question, because right now on the depth chart, it's Sam Darnold and it's P.J. Walker. So, of course, Sam Darnold is their starter today. Of course, there's two quarterbacks on the roster. But by the time that the season starts, training camp gets here, there's going to be another quarterback. And that quarterback likely is going to be the starter because that quarterback likely is going to be Baker Mayfield arriving in Carolina to save the day for them. And he certainly is, uh, has a better resume, I would say, than Sam Darnold does. But it will be a competition between those two guys to see who gets it. And at least Carolina will have a couple options there. And we'll see what they do in the draft if they don't trade for Baker Mayfield. But I don't expect, Mike, Sam Darnold to be their opening day starter. Not great options for the Carolina Panthers, and the harder they try to find a franchise quarterback, the more elusive finding a franchise quarterback becomes. David Tepper, the latest billionaire who is realizing the hard way that just because you make a crap load of money in some other line of work doesn't mean you walk through the door and can figure out how to properly run a football team. It is not easy, and and the success in Becoming a multi-billionaire hedge fund manager does not translate in becoming a wildly successful executive of an NFL team. Let's take a break. 
The Cleveland Browns have had players arrive for off-season workouts. Some key players showed up. One key player did not. We'll talk all things Cleveland when PFTPM continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Happy spring. <laughs> it is April the 19th. April 19th. Not March, not February, not January. Snowing in Cleveland. There are some of the Browns players showing up for work. Walk carefully. Don't injure yourself on the way inside. Deshaun Watson was there today. He had to be wondering, why in the hell did I choose Cleveland? Why did I do this? This is not Houston. This is not New Orleans. This is not Atlanta. This is not Carolina. It's April 19, and it's snowing. But there he is showing up for work, for actual work, not just to show up and get paid to not work as we await what happens with a potential suspension, the 22 pending lawsuits. But Deshaun Watson is there with proverbial bells on, maybe literal bells on. I don't know. We couldn't see whether or not he was wearing bells. I don't know where that saying came from. But regardless, he's there. And that's good news for the Browns. I guess the better news is Baker Mayfield's not there. They don't have to deal with the guy that they're trying to unload. And, you know, Shereen, I was a believer that Baker should maybe consider just showing up and saying, here I am, deal with me. Yeah. Apparently he's not going to take that approach. Well, and Mike, he, pr- he might not be there anyway with having off-season shoulder surgery on that left shoulder. So maybe he would have been rehabbing anyway and, and wouldn't have showed up even if he was the quarterback of the Browns. But – I didn't expect him to show up, but I'm with you. I think it would have been a great thing for him to show up and say, you better make a move here because I'm going to be around. I'm going to be hanging around, be hanging over your head. I'm going to volunteer to do press conferences. I'm going to do everything I can to make it very difficult for you guys. And you already have enough distractions with Deshaun Watson. I don't have the 22 lawsuits hanging over my head. But I assume, Mike, that when they start their on-field work, Deshaun Watson will not be playing safety on the scout team as he did last season with the Texans early. Excellent point. Excellent point. Deshaun Watson (laughs) will be getting ready for week one or week whatever if he is suspended. They're going to have to go with Jacoby Brissett as the starter for the first several weeks if the suspension is implemented this year for Deshaun Watson. And I've basically broken it down to three approaches the NFL could take. Once the commissioner at the league meeting, Shereem, was there at the press conference, he appeared to take paid leave off the table as an option for Deshaun Watson. So he either gets suspended now while the 22 cases go forward, they wait to take action until the 22 cases are resolved, or they do a preliminary suspension based on what they currently know with the door open for potential further action later. Those are the three ways they could handle it. Paid leave, I believe not an option, but the Browns have to be ready for anything. And the way his contract is structured, they're expecting it this year or next year. But those cases not expected to go to trial until after the season. And I keep coming back to the very basic plea to Deshaun Watson, to the Browns, to everyone involved. Get in a room, get a retired judge who can speak directly to the parties, to the lawyers, who can talk sense into people and broker a deal. The time has come for all sides to get their grievances resolved and to move on with their lives, especially 
Deshaun Watson. And I think the key is to get a, a mediator who can speak to Tony Busby because I think Tony Busby, who represents 22 individuals suing Deshaun Watson, recognizes there's enhanced value in holding out because Watson does have urgency to make this go away. The Browns have urgency to make this go away. And Busby's representing his clients well by digging in, but at some point you've got to understand you could be hurting your clients if you blow an opportunity to get a good settlement because you go to trial a year from now and you could lose. There is no way, Mike, that Deshaun Watson and the Browns want this hanging over their head for the next year because you know what Tony Busby is going to do. Tony Busby is going to every so often bring up something. There will be something that Tony Busby makes a story that you're going to have to deal with. So then when Deshaun Watson goes to his, to his press conference, this is what you're talking about. You have to ask about it. You can't ignore it. And you're talking about that instead of talking about football. So, Yes, Mike, they need to get this settled, get Deshaun Watson on the field as they, what they think is their franchise quarterback. Finally, 32 starters. He'll be the 33rd since they came back as an expansion team in 1999. Get Deshaun Watson through this, let him serve a suspension, get him on the field sooner rather than later, and get that suspicion served sooner rather than later, Mike. I think when, if you're the Browns, you want to get that out of the way now not have that lingering over going, when is this going to come down? Is it going to come down in the middle of the season? Is it going to come down next year? When are we going to have to serve this suspension? You're trying to build something with Deshaun Watson. You want to clear the decks of everything related yeah. to the off-field issues in Houston before he ever takes a snap for you in the regular season. So I agree with you. Let's get it done now. Let's get it over with, and let's focus on trying to become the team that we think Deshaun Watson can help us be. As it relates to Baker Mayfield, look, I am always a proponent of a good story. I like chaos. I like intrigue. I like drama. I like tension. But as it relates to Baker Mayfield, I think what he's choosing to do is behave. And what I mean is, at a time when teams are trying to evaluate whether or not this is a guy they want to welcome into their building for the 2022 season, if he's a complete and total and overt pain in the ass for the Browns as he tries to get out, that doesn't exactly make him as attractive as he can be to the team that would be trading for him. So going along to get along, to get to a place where he can have the kind of season that sets him up for the contract that he wants next year. And, you know, the reality, and Shereen, I was told this back early in the process when it looked like Baker Mayfield was on the outs in Cleveland. He needs to be humbled. And I think the fact that the Colts went for Matt Ryan instead of him is humbling. The fact yeah. that he mentioned in the podcast last week with Mike period, formerly known as Mike Studd, that Seattle's the most likely option and the Seahawks have shown no inclination no. to trade for Baker Mayfield. Yeah. I think he's being humbled before our eyes, and he's acting with a humility that we rarely see from him. We would expect him to be very aggressive, but I think he realizes if he wants to set himself up for next year, he needs to go somewhere where he's going to be welcomed, he's going to have the opportunity to start, and play and play well enough that he gets himself a big contract wherever he chooses to go in 2023. You know, Mike, I think Baker Mayfield is the cautionary tale because you think back, it was only 15 months ago that the Browns had their first playoff win in 26 years, and he was the toast of the town, and we were talking about how much is he worth, and 
who knows what he would have settled for and the Browns would have settled for, but I'm not sure they could have come to some sort of an agreement, especially if Baker had maybe taken a little bit less. But he didn't, and here we are, Mike. Well, but see, and this is why I think Kyler Murray is digging in a little bit now. Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield, very close friends. And what happened last year was there was too much of a gap between the Browns and Baker Mayfield. What we just talked about last segment, there's too much of a gap between the Cardinals and Kyler Murray. And Joe Thomas reported or whatever a few weeks back that the Browns would have paid him $30 million a year, and the Browns denied it. Unnamed sources told Mary Kay Cabot of the Cleveland Plain Dealer that it wasn't true. Well, it never happened because they never sat down and negotiated because they knew they were wasting their time. I firmly believe that's what happened yeah. last year, that Mayfield was in the range of 40, the Browns would have been in the range of 30, and there was no point wasting their time trying to go negotiate away an impasse that wasn't going to go away. So the cautionary tale is for Baker Mayfield. I mean, look, the bottom line is this. Yeah. Not every time you bet on yourself do you win. Sometimes you bet yeah. on yourself and you lose. Baker Mayfield last year bet on himself. He rejected the bird in the hand. He rejected what the Browns would have done if they would have followed that through to conclusion. And he lost. Why did he lose? Because he was too stubborn after he threw an interception in week two, made the tackle, hurt his shoulder, and it threw him off. So, I, you know, that, that's the lesson learned by Baker Mayfield. So this year, he's got $18.8 million in hand. And it's in his best interest to just go along with whatever he needs to do to get to a place where he can lay the foundation through a great season. Every other year, he has a good year. High-end analytics. Odd number of years, he stinks. Even number of years, he's good. It's an even number of years. He's going to be good. Hashtag analytics. Uh, this is his chance. This is his time. And that's how he has to view it. Well, and, and Mike, you've talked about, too, Baker Mayfield talking about to his good friend Kyler Murray about the future and all of that. He may be saying, get your money now. Don't wait. You may not get that money. Get it now while you can. Yeah, look what they did to me. I got injured, and all of a sudden I stink because I'm fighting to play through a dislocated shoulder that got made even worse on that hit you just saw there, week six against the Arizona Cardinals. And now I'm, I'm out because I had a bad year because I kept playing with a bad shoulder trying to take this team to where it needed to go. That is a message to Kyler Murray because if he injures his ankle or has some other injury early in the season this year and has a bad year, the narrative is going to be he stinks. And then maybe the Cardinals are going to go find next year's Deshaun Watson, whoever it may be. So, yeah, it's, it's important for Kyler Murray to get his contract. And Baker Mayfield did bet on himself last year, and now he's, he's taking a different approach. He's laying the foundation for something that could break his way coming next year. Things broke Denzel Ward's way. And, you know, if you'd have told me last year that one of the guys taken by the Browns with a top-four pick in the 2018 draft was going to sign a nine-figure <laughs> yeah. contract, I would have assumed it was Baker Mayfield. Instead, it's Denzel Ward, a five-year, $100.5 million extension, $20.1 million per year in new money. And this is a real contract. The problem is it's too real. The problem is for Denzel Ward, he may wake up three years from now and say, you know, this was a good deal when I signed it, but the market continues to explode. The salary cap continues to spike. It's a Xavier Howard type situation where he may realize with three years left on his contract, I, 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 you know, I got a big pile of money, but I probably am being underpaid right now. And that's a good problem to have if you get there. 
and teams seem to be more willing to take care of a guy who ends up getting a deal that he regrets a few years later. 20 years ago, the attitude was too bad. You signed a contract. Now I think there is a greater understanding that you got to keep your guys happy. So he gets a bird in the hand. He may not be happy with the back end. And if he's still playing well, when he gets to the back end, then maybe they adjust it and take care of him there. Like, the Dolphins did three years after they signed Xavier Howard to a ridiculously team-friendly deal that looked great at the time but quickly became obsolete. Yeah, and Mike, the Browns spent $340.5 million guaranteed this offseason. It's the most in the NFL. Of course, $301 million of that went to two guys, Watson and Ward. But they have spent some money this offseason, Mike, and they think that's going to put them over the hump eventually with now they think they have their franchise quarterback. Remains to be seen. They thought two years ago they had their franchise quarterback in Baker Mayfield. We'll see if they have it in Deshaun Watson. Yeah, um, and uh, if not, the search will continue as it has for 20-plus years for the Cleveland Browns ever since they returned to the league. To the great chagrin of our good friend and colleague, Miles Simmons, the Browns is the Browns, as Juju Smith-Schuster said. They continue to be the Browns, and they're hoping that Deshaun Watson can make them something other than the Browns, at least what the Browns have been in recent years. Let's go ahead and take a break. We heard from a few members of the fresh Super Bowl champion Rams today. We're going to talk about them when PFTPM continues right after this. The St. Louis Rams. Why did I call them the St. Louis Rams? They used to be the St. Louis Rams. That's what happens when you're not paying attention. The Los Angeles Rams from St. Louis by way of Los Angeles, by way of Cleveland, back in the building today. Sean McVay, the head coach of the team, said that they've had good dialogue with Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup on new contracts. Cup is the guy that's been overlooked in this receiver contractual explosion he's at around 14 million and change is under contract a few more years he is woefully underpaid now and you know the Rams can't make everyone the highest paid player at their position they're gonna have to take care of Donald who deserves to be the highest paid defensive lineman if not the highest paid defensive player they need to take care of Cooper Cup who deserves to be the highest paid receiver there's a limit to what you can do but they've got to do it for their two Super Bowl heroes Shireen Oh, they absolutely do, Mike, and I'm with you. I, you have to make Aaron Donald the highest-paid defensive player in football, and he is the highest-paid defensive tackle, but there are five edge rushers right now who make more per year than Aaron Donald does, and that's just not right with what he's accomplished in his career. He's the best defensive player in football, probably the best player at any position in the NFL. What I mean is – doing his job that he's called to do, he's the best. Of course, he doesn't play quarterback. I get that. Doesn't have the ball. But he makes such an impact for the Rams, and you saw it in the Super Bowl. To finish it off, the hit on Joe Burrow, that's just what Aaron Donald does, and he's done it his whole entire career, still young. When we, when we finish, Mike, we may be talking about him as the greatest defensive player ever. I think right now I would put him second to Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, I mean, he definitely is up there, and I think at some point he is going to find his way to the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's going to want to finish his career at home. That was where a lot of this came from, this talk about him possibly retiring. He's a Pittsburgh guy. 
Los Angeles is a long way from Pittsburgh and a different world. As a guy who flew from Pittsburgh to L.A. and nine days later flew from L.A. to Pittsburgh earlier this year, I can tell you it was like taking a rocket ship to and from a different planet, the contrast between those two towns. And wouldn't it be something if he comes back to Pittsburgh and plays for the Steelers at some point? Cup says that... He wants money that's right for both sides, despite the inflated receiver market. I'm not trying to beat anybody or compare myself to anybody. There's a place you want to be. There's a place that I think is fair. Well, fair fair can be defined in a lot of different ways. And the bottom line is, and look, I get and Sims and I have gotten into this argument before, because he would say, I don't think Cooper Cup is being selfish. I don't think it's selfish for a guy to say, I want what I deserve. How is that selfish? It's up to you, the team, to manage the salary cap, to run the budget. But the team is making money. The team can afford to pay me, and I'm one of the key employees of the team. So let's go. And I don't like this Jedi mind trick that gets played by teams and by media and by fans on players to not be selfish, to not want every last cent. Look, this is all Cooper Cup's getting in his football career. He has no equity. It's what he earns. And this is his last chance because at some point the skills are going to start to diminish. At some point there's going to be somebody younger and faster and cheaper. Get paid what you can while you can. You got your Super Bowl ring. Now go get your financial reward. And it's what you were talking about with A.J. Brown when you wrote the post last night, Mike, about people calling A.J. Brown selfish. He's not selfish not being there. He's not selfish wanting more money. He's not selfish wanting a contract extension. There's nothing selfish about that. He's earned that, just like Cooper Cup has earned that. They should get as much as they can. Kudos to him. Again, we're talking millionaires versus billionaires, and it still befuddles me, second time I've used that word today, that fans take the side of the billionaires rather than the millionaires, Mike. And that's not going to change anytime soon. I'm trying one fan at a time to convince people to understand and not resent the players and realize that the owners are making a hell of a lot more money than any of the players. We can't relate to the owners. They are like they're from a different planet. They're like a different species. They're the ultra-rich that are somehow residing among us with their super yachts and their private jets and their mansions in the hills. And they're benefiting a lot more from where this sport is going than the people that we tune in to watch. And I will always support those who are trying to get paid for what they do on the field, especially when it's a great player. This isn't some third guy on the depth chart who's haggling over $500,000. This is Cooper Cup, one of the best receivers in the NFL and needs to be paid accordingly. One of the best quarterbacks in the NFL is Matthew Stafford. He has his new contract. He also had a quote-unquote surgical thing in the offseason apparently had something to do with his elbow an anti-inflammatory shot he wore a brace briefly to limit his range of motion while it healed Matthew Stafford is so much more of a badass than he gets credit for because he doesn't go out and seek attention his personality isn't conducive to attracting attention he just goes about his business he gets banged up he keeps going he gets banged up he keeps going. He doesn't embellish. He doesn't complain. He doesn't talk big. He just goes out and does his job. And uh, there's, there's uh, something I respect about that. The guy who just shows up every day, no matter what he goes through physically, and he just keeps doing what he's doing. And finally, he's got his Super Bowl ring to go along with a career of some spectacular regular season performances. 
Yeah, and you remember early in his career, Mike, I mean, the dialogue on Matthew Stafford was, gosh, this guy can't stay healthy. Why did the Lions use the number one overall pick on him? He can't stay on the field, and he couldn't stay on the field. And now, guess what? Last year was the 10th time in the last 11 seasons that he's played every game in a season. And it hasn't been easy. We know the finger injuries, the thumb injury. This year he had a toe injury. He had back pain. He had the arm pain, everything else, elbow. So he just manages to play through that and just does what he does. And you're right. And I don't think he got enough credit really for what he did in Detroit. Some of the worst teams, defensive teams in NFL history. And he couldn't do that alone. Yes, he had Calvin Johnson for much of his career in Detroit. But you can only do so much when you have the worst defense in history. Some of the worst defenses in history. And he had that. But, you know, he deserves more credit, Mike, for what he did in Detroit. He was a very good quarterback. We're going to dispense with the final break of the show. Quick news item that just came through on the PFT text chain. The NFL disapproved Geno Smith's contract with the Seahawks, but the plan is they'll work it out and he'll still sign with the team. I saw that it was a one-year, $3.5 million deal with $3.5 million in incentives. We'll see what the issue was, but they do keep or at least plan to keep Geno Smith around, so we anticipate they'll work it out and go from there. Mailbag time. John Kasich wants to know, what are your thoughts on the Panthers' headquarters conflict? What happens next? Well, today the Panthers announced that they're walking away from this massive project in Rock Hill, South Carolina. They were building headquarters and a practice facility. They had over $100 million, maybe a couple hundred million dollars of steel in the ground on this thing. The public money didn't come through. David Tepper walks away, and now it's over. It's done. And I I think that and, and who knows what they'll work out? Who knows? But it's a reminder that if you don't give a multi-billionaire who has options what he wants, he's going to explore his other options. And this may be the shot across the bow at what's to come for the new stadium that he wants in Carolina. Because if he doesn't get what he wants, and if there's any failure to live up to the promises made, he's out of there. So in my mind, the Panthers are the one team now at the top of my list that I'm keeping an eye on for a potential relocation because Tepper is not going to do anybody any favors, and he probably made a lot of enemies in Carolina right now, and he may have made it harder for him to get what he wants by way of a taxpayer-funded stadium. It's a great point, Mike. I don't care about the practice facility. Most people don't care about practice facilities. They never see the practice facility. Now, Jerry's turned it into something else because he's put in the restaurants and the bars and, and everything else that goes with it in the club and, and all that sort of stuff. So he's turned it into more, and I'm sure owners will look at that. But it, as it relates to the stadium, that's exactly right, Mike. This could be a precursor to, to Carolina, to Charlotte, to say, build us a stadium or else, Mike. Yeah, and uh, again, there's going to be resentment of David Tepper, and they need to they need to mend some fences here if they hope to do business moving forward. The next question comes from JHB12322. Got to be accurate with the Twitter handle. What would the Panthers have to give up to get Baker Mayfield? It took a three to get Sam Darnold. It actually took more than that. I'm looking at it now. They gave up, the Panthers did, a sixth rounder in 21 and a second and a fourth rounder in 2022. That's a lot to give up to get Sam Darnold. The difference this time around is the Browns understand that that there's an $18.8 million financial obligation, fully guaranteed, that goes along with Baker Mayfield. I think the Panthers get him for a lot less. And the more they pay of the 18.8, the less they give to get 
Baker Mayfield's contract from the Cleveland Browns, Shereen? I don't think it's going to be very much, Mike. I really don't. I, I, they've got to get rid of him. Teams know they're going to cut him if they can't work out a trade. They don't want him to go into Pittsburgh. They need to work out a trade with somebody for whatever they can get, Mike. The best deal they can possibly get, and I don't think that's going to be very much in draft compensation. I agree with you on that. Paul PJ5 asks whether teams with elite third-year players like the Vikings and Justin Jefferson should start negotiating a contract now so that the player can have a deal ready early next offseason. This is a great point because there's no prohibition in the contract to beginning the negotiations now or whenever, and the window opens on signing a player who has completed his third year, a drafted player who has completed his third year when the regular season ends. And I'm still waiting for the player who says, after the end of his third regular season, if a team has made the playoffs, I'm not playing without my contract. I'm not taking any further physical risk. I'm not playing. I refuse to do it unless you pay me. That would be a highly unpopular decision. But, Shereen, the way the CBA is written, somebody could do that. Yeah, and Mike, I don't know that now's the time to start talking about that. There's too many other things going on, but it's a great point. And toward the end of the season, if I'm the agent for Justin Jefferson or any of these guys, I do start talking to the team for about a new deal. Here's the message for the team and any team out there that's got a great player that they want to keep. The longer you wait, the more expensive yeah. it's going to get. We're out of time. We'll see you tomorrow morning for PFT Live. Enjoy your Tuesday evening. Thanks for some of your time. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.